how did you know you had your MVP? Hmm. Probably build until Ray is happy with the design. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Princeton Spark. My name is Wright Sinieras. This season of the Princeton Spark podcast is focused on the story of Adora, a uniquely Princeton startup that found opportunity even in a global health crisis and achieved a dream exit. In this episode, we'll answer the question, how can students take a business from zero to product to multiple enterprise customers? The Adora team of student entrepreneurs built a company that disrupted the college tour industry and enabled more lower income prospective students to access more colleges across the nation. With support for the Princeton entrepreneurial ecosystem, the Adora team launched, pivoted in the face of the coronavirus pandemic, scored some early successes, and then were acquired by a terrific company. We've been meeting some of those key people who helped them along the way and exploring some of the lessons that any entrepreneur can take from their experience. So if you haven't already, check out our first four episodes of this series. From the Princeton Entrepreneurship Council, this is the Princeton Spark. I'm Wright Yares. The various people that make up the Princeton entrepreneurial ecosystem have long been at work, taking risks to bring transformational ideas and companies to the world, in the nation's service and the service of humanity. These are the stories of entrepreneurship the Princeton way. At PEC, we support Princeton-connected startups and help to build the regional entrepreneurial ecosystem in New Jersey and beyond. In the previous episodes, we introduced you to the three co-founders of Adora, an app that reshaped virtual college tours to be more accessible and personalized. It all started when Ron, one of the co-founders, had lunch with a friend from his high school after this friend took a tour of the Princeton campus. And I asked him how he enjoyed his Princeton visit, and he looked at me without flinching and said, honestly, it sucked. That friend didn't hear what he was looking for during the tour. That gave Ron the spark to work on this problem. Soon, he brought in Ray Award and Joseph Rubin, and the three of them started to build a solution in 2019 into the next year in the spring semester. In the startup world, one of your early tasks is to turn your idea into a minimum viable product, an MVP, and then take that MVP to potential users and customers. Here's Raya. It's hard because I feel like in our product journey or development of the product, there were like multiple MVPs because again, like we had... I essentially built an MVP before we got kicked off campus. Like we had built a, a working something that we were putting in people's hands and we were doing research with. So that spring semester, we were actually like, okay, giving the thing to visitors on campus and, and evaluating how it was working. So doing research around that. But then again, right. When we had kind of realized everything I needed to change about that product, basically done like a few months of research on this MVP. In March of 2020, Princeton went fully remote and sent its students home including Ron, Rhea, and Joseph. You can hear more about that in episode four if you haven't listened to it already. Here's Ron again. Initial reaction was, oh, okay, on-campus tours aren't happening for a while. Let's delay our launch by a couple months because of course everything's gonna pass in, you know, in a few months and then everything's gonna go back to normal. And then you know, it just gives us a few months, more months to kind of rough out the edges in the product. And then you know, a little bit in, we re- once we realized that, oh, hey, this could, might actually be a much longer thing, I think our initial gut reaction was, oh my goodness, we, you know, we might have to scrap this whole project, right? This whole thing that we've been working on for so long, this on-campus tour solution, it's probably not going to be viable anytime soon. Uh, or who knows when the next time people are going to be 
uh, coming back to campuses are. The world was turning upside down, and maybe they'd have to scrap the whole project. The team sought advice from people like Ann Kirchner, a former Princeton trustee and key advisor to Adora. We heard from Ann in the previous episode. Through conversations with her and other advisors, the team came to a realization. Here's Rhea and Ron again. We didn't think we were like going to start this whole thing. We were like solving a problem for Princeton and it was cool they were going to pay us to do it. But it was really in these conversations and when the pandemic was first hitting, we were kind of to be like, like <laughs> we could do something. We did user research development, iteration, user testing, all these types of things and eventually led to, to some sort of product that we could put in someone's hands. And we were probably a couple months away pre-pandemic from going and launching something on very kind of classic lean startup playbook. Then we got kicked off campus and we pivoted to doing virtual solutions. So we had to build a whole new MVP, not a whole new one, but we had to adapt our MVP to be the new MVP. But we had all this research to kind of guide that transition. So it was building an MVP, but with a lot of guidance from research we had done on like, I guess, a previous prototype. Again, this happened so quickly with the acceleration of the pandemic that we were on calls with new schools and new potential clients before we had, before we were ready to like really say, okay, let's launch. Ron had also been talking to other schools and potential new customers while they were building out their product. Those uncertain early days at the beginning of the pandemic presented the opportunity that Adora seized. But with this real, real pressure of every single school will need to have an, like, every single director of admissions is going to need to come to their president, provost, VP enrollment in the next two, three months with a virtual strategy. And there was like a really, really, really strict timeline on that. And so we realized that in balancing all the different interests to the business, we have to go to market fast. And so that's what, there were some like kind of hilariously terrifying stories where we'd go and pitch this like vision for a product to various schools. And then they'd email us afterwards and say like, hey, can we see a demo? And not only had we not built it, we hadn't even designed it out. They hadn't even designed it out. By Ron's admission, this wasn't textbook product development. We were just like pitching like a, a vision for what it could be. And so I, 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 Ray and I would, after a call with a school that, that actually is now a customer of Adora, fun fact, <laughs> after a year and a half, that they emailed us and say, hey, can we see a demo of this product? Ray and I sit down for an hour and a half right after the call and just like sketch up and be like, what is this product? awful product development methodology of just responding to a sales pitch. But, but then we send it over to them and then they ask us, how much does it cost? I don't know how much does it cost. We have no idea, right? We hadn't thought, we haven't thought any of these things. And, and so we had this kind of awful, like build in real time mentality using all these very messy, disparate parts for those first few months that, and then, you know, slowly contracts started getting signed. And once we realized, okay, like, and we kind of created the product around that in real time which was very, very different than, than segment one of the, of the operation, but uh, you know, exciting in its own right. After the break, we'll hear from the person that had to turn this idea into the product. The Princeton Entrepreneurship Council invites you to check out our website, entrepreneurs.princeton.edu. There you can find out more about our programs and events for entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurially minded in the Princeton ecosystem and beyond. Sign up for our newsletter, and you'll stay up to date on PEC news and events. That's entrepreneurs.princeton.edu. Welcome back to the Princeton Spark. When we left off, the team was generating buzz with new schools and potential clients. Here's Rhea. And then through literally talking to our potential clients, the people who were 
directly in it of just, I don't know what I'm going to do. We heard, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. And we built that as we heard it, making each pitch better, but also the product developing along the way. So we had built with kind of like our idea, the research of the end users, and then we're building also with direct conversation with clients. And so it was just it was shaping so naturally through that process, very quickly, very messy, but we had all the inputs we needed. Engineering lead Joseph Rubin had to turn the idea and these inputs into the product. Here's Ron and Joseph. And then Joseph and the engineers would yell at us every single time and we'd go and say, hey, by the way, we just designed like 10 screens overnight for this new product. How fast can you build these? And be like, well, it usually might take us three months to do something like this. And how long, do you, you know, when do you need it by? Like, three days, four days? Yeah, like next week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that answers the question because every school has a different idea of what's, uh, what's viable for them. And so it's not just that a school would say, this would be really nice. It would mostly be a school saying, oh, we really need this if this is going to work for for our community. And so that's sort of how you have to play with the definition of what's viable. For any startup, knowing which priorities to act on is critical. There's an inherent and, and kind of healthy tension that comes from this and kind of we given like our three roles in the company, right? That I was a little bit more kind of externally facing, talking to clients and hearing all these things that clients would want. Rhea was running product development, product design and would go, uh, Rhea was running product development, product design. Joseph was running kind of engineering and development. And in essence, I would come back and say, hey, we need all these features right now ASAP because I feel myself losing deals the more the slower we get these features. Being strategic about how you spend your time makes all the difference. Rhea would take a step back and say, okay, but like, are we sure this is the right thing to build right now? Are we sure? Are there other features that we should prioritize? Why do we need this feature over that feature? Have we actually understood? Like, are you sure that this is the case? Are you just listening to them, what they tell you, et cetera, et cetera. And Joseph would go back and say, okay, but like, First of all, what are we prioritizing engineering-wise? This is how long it'll actually take us to build. And are we thinking scalably? Are we thinking over the long run? Are we prepared? Are we, are we going to change this again in two weeks? Am I going to need to start my job from scratch? And so there was, that was kind of the constant conversation that was happening between the three of us. That, that, that was also messy, right? That's, you know, even, in, even without all the other extraneous circumstances, that, that is also kind of a back and forth where there aren't really any true correct answers, right? It's just, it's just a kind of a constant negotiation and like leave your ego at the door, first principles discussion. I think was the challenging but most exciting part about working in an industry like higher ed and ed tech where so much, so little has changed in the last few decades. So, so much of what we were hearing was like, okay, are we hearing them trying to imagine a solution in a system that they already know? And do we want to build for that? Or do we want to get 10 steps ahead and show them what it could be? And so it was constantly this back and forth of what do people need, what people think they need, and what can they not even imagine that they could have, which is like a very hard thing to do. And like Ron's saying, you're getting on the phone with people who need a solution now and are working with institutions where they have to get so much buy-in to get a contract. So it was there were a lot of trade-offs happening in those conversations. And it felt like at first we were losing a lot of, of deals by wanting to build scalably or build different. So it was, it was a... A difficult balance to find. It's likely that Henry Ford didn't actually say, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Faster horses or a new paradigm with a horseless carriage? In any case, there's no right way to go but through. As they were building the solution, the Adora team was also grinding away at customer acquisition. Ron credits Emily Crosby, whom we heard from in the first episode of this season, 
with not only getting Princeton on board as a customer, but spreading the word among her colleagues at other schools. So I'll give credit where credit is due. Princeton, the, the first big thing, and you know, Princeton, the theme of Princeton here, and credit, huge amount of credits go to Emily Crosby from the admissions office. She was just our kind of cheerleader, supporter, advocate when when no one else was. And that was just unbelievable on her end. And the, the amount she went to bat for us is just we're immensely, immensely grateful for that. One of the first things she did when we when we talked to her and, and told her that we were expanding to other schools was she sent our name and a quick bio to the listserv for an organization called SIVSA. SIVSA is the Collegiate Information and Visitor Services Association. We've learned over time that there's pretty much a national organization, professional organization for just about any profession and sub-profession ever. And so there's also one for admissions counselors and visit coordinators. And so she sent our name out to that listserv. And that got us, you know, actually a pretty good chunk of leads and early conversations. And past that, we were, we were networking like crazy. Every, I remember we were all went on LinkedIn one day and like typed admissions into our, into our LinkedIn search. And anyone that we had any type of second connection to, we would go and reach out to, right? So like, I remember I chatted my high school freshman year orientation leader that I hadn't talked to in seven years because she, three years ago, worked at Boston University's admissions office. She didn't answer me, but that's okay. And so we were kind of just constantly like trying to find anyone with any type of connection to, to admissions and would keep setting up a whole bunch of calls. And the reality that because we were going through like a messy process, we were figuring things out in real time. We had no idea how to do sales and sales in general and sales to higher ed and sales in this climate and all these types of things. We got a ton of no's. For just about every startup out there, it's not a build it and they will come scenario like Field of Dreams. We all shared an email inbox at this point, adoraexperiences at gmail.com. And we would wake up every morning, refresh my email, and you'd just see like three more no's from calls that we had over the past few days and be like, ah, you know, sorry, didn't work for one of a million different reasons. And that was probably, at least for me, and I think for the team as a whole, one of the, like the more demotivating portions of that whole life cycle mm-hmm. uh, that we had kind of set out on this larger vision. We had set out for, uh, to go and adapt to the pandemic. And then we thought, oh my God, everyone's going to want this. And a few months later, we hadn't signed anyone. Ouch. We were just kind of getting no after no after no after no. And every time we were adjusting the deck. The pitch deck. And we would get feedback and we would ask them why they said no and try to resell them and try to talk to their bosses and try to, you know, we tried everything. And we you know, had 25, 30, 35 conversations with schools that all said no. But eventually they got a Yes. The first customer that said yes, and also kind of a woman that deserves a lot of credit, Ann Johnson from North Dakota State, Ann was similar to Emily in that she saw the vision very, very quickly. She kind of was bought in after really our first conversation, after our initial pitch, and understood that we were not, we were not ripe yet. And she had, you know, there's like a, a concept, and like if you read like any type of you know, startup or tech adoption curve, there's a concept called like the innovators, early adopters. Right. Like, so Anne and 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 Emily are both kind of clear innovators in that, uh, in that respect. They're people who kind of were willing to take the bet and had actually done that with a prior company as well and had gone and like been the first customer for like a larger ed tech company as well. We met Anne Johnson from North Dakota State in the prior episode to the one you're hearing now. I spoke to her last year, and this is what she had to say when Adora shipped their product. The fact that we were, I think, basically their second official client. You would have never known that by the level of detail and service that we received and things were in place. You know, they had really spent time to think through what questions might an organization have who's going to be implementing this product. So 
you know, the implementation process was so smooth. The, the lift for us was minimal, you know, and that's really rare. <laughs> Anytime you go with a new product, normally you like are hating your life and regretting everything with the amount of work you have to put into it. But that wasn't the case. Like we did what we needed to do and it was just really, really seamless. And still to date, one of the best integrations that we've done and has just been really wonderful. So we love the product and still use it. And it really got us through a lot of those months with COVID where we couldn't offer tours and still wanted to have something that we could send out to families so that they could still see our campus. All that back and forth amongst Ron, Rhea, and Joseph, thinking through all those big questions and strategizing through all the messiness finally started to pay off. And the conversation with Anne ended up being not even a sales conversation, but like a human to human conversation where we went to her and expressed to her like, listen, we're just trying to do something important and we're trying to do something impactful. We're trying to really change the industry, make an impact there. And I know we're early. We know we don't have everything quite prepared yet, but we give you our word that we're going to stay up night and day and make sure that this is a success for North Dakota State. Fishing for the early adopters out of your pond of customers is hard, but for Adora, when they found some, the hard work to get to that point started to fill their boat. And she convinced a whole bunch of people on her end that I don't know how she did it, but eventually she was our second customer. And after that, I think that gave us both legitimacy, right? Because we had signed a first customer that wasn't our alma mater, but then also just a confidence to go out and sign others. And after North Dakota State flipped, like four more flipped within two or three weeks. Even now that we do have these other virtual tour formats on our website, we still see value in keeping a product like Adora because it fills a slightly different need than just a student who's sitting hundreds of miles away from us who wants to see our campus. Sure, that's great, but we also have those students who are here and walking around who want a little bit more of a customized experience. Adora got their big break. Their solution was now bigger than just something that addressed a need that the Office of Admission at Princeton had and might have helped Ron Thren from his high school but a less than fulfilling experience during his Princeton tour. To execute on this solution and scale up, the team of students brought in some more students. On the next episode of the Princeton Spark, we'll continue with the student entrepreneurship theme, how Adora went from the three founders to a 12-person team of students from all around the country. The Princeton Spark is a production of the Princeton Entrepreneurship Council. I engineered this episode. Additional engineering by Dan Kearns at the Princeton Broadcast Center. Edited by Brandon Apter. Our theme music is by The Treadmills. Special thanks to Allison Yaris, Scott Colin, Ron Miasnik, Ray Award, Joseph Rubin, Emily Crosby, Ann Johnson, and Heather Massey and Tiffany Novak at Creative Circle. You can find everything Princeton Spark related at PrincetonSpark.com. The views expressed by our guests on this show are theirs and do not necessarily reflect the views of Princeton Entrepreneurship Council, the Office of the Dean for Research, Princeton Innovation, or Princeton University. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please do so wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.